talk to someone. Talk to someone that you know that probably has been through something similar. So I should have done this was I should reach out to a head of growth who has a team they can give me and and they're probably willing to give me some advice as to how to handle the situation better than I currently am. Reach out and, and talk to someone. Hello and welcome to the Delivering Value Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Kaplins. In this show, we chat with people who lead cross-functional growth teams at SaaS companies, not about their favorite growth playbooks or growth strategies. There's plenty of other shows that do that. I chat with folks who lead these teams about the challenges with the job of working in growth, challenges in their careers, and investigate ways that they keep going despite adversity and bumps and bruises along the way. My guest today is Liam McCormick. Liam leads growth at Mad Kudu, which is one of the sponsors for the show, and they're a SaaS company that does lead and account scoring. And I was excited to chat with Liam for a couple of reasons. One is that his career path, like many of ours in the growth space, hasn't been linear. He's been in growth his entire career, but he's been head of growth. He's been a one-person growth team. He's led a very large team. He's been let go. He's had a reset. He's been a one-person head of growth again. And so his journey is like many of ours. It hasn't been linear. It's been full of challenge and adversity. And so his perspective is really cool. The second reason why I was excited to chat with him is because both of his parents are therapists. So Liam is a huge advocate for therapy and mental health in general. And so his perspective and his approach to handling workplace challenge is really healthy and refreshing, frankly. And so in our convo, we talked about Liam's journey from his first growth job to modern day at Mad Kudu, and we explored some of the bumps and bruises he's encountered along the way. I know you're going to love it. Let's jump right in. Want to take a second and thank Mad Kudu for sponsoring the show. The average SaaS business has a hybrid motion these days. You know, when I was head of growth at Wistit and at Postscript, although we called ourselves PLG, there was a sales team at both companies. Both companies did some outbound. We did inbound. There was the product-led freemium or free trial motion and wrangling all that stuff to understand lead scoring and quality and PQL routing is a bear. And when I worked at Postscript, we had a Stanford PhD, had a PhD in data science, one of the smartest people I've ever met, spend weeks and weeks and weeks putting together this insane predictive model using our behavioral data to understand who was likely to convert and to upgrade. And it took weeks of doing this. We weren't really able to adjust it after the fact, and it ended up being something that was hard to maintain. And what's great is that now there's these whole suite of tools out there that can help you do this way faster. So Madkudu is typically the one that I send my clients to that if I had in my previous world, those head of growth would have made my life way easier. And what's nice is that they balance the hybrid motion really well. So if you're trying to wrangle PQLs, PQAs, and figure out lead scoring across your hybrid model, check out Mad Kudu. It's where I send my clients. This episode is brought to you by Novatic. If you follow me online, you know how much I believe in the interactive demo space. And that's because if you work at a product-led company that has a free trial or a freemium motion, what you see is usually a high percentage of those new users sign up, poke around for a few minutes, but never really use your product in a meaningful way. It's really frustrating. And when you survey these folks, usually they'll say, well, I just wanted to see your product in action. I'm not really ready to upload my stuff yet. And I saw this happen firsthand when I was at Postscript and at Wistia. And to solve this problem, we created an interactive version of our tool, an interactive demo. We put it on the website and we saw how effective it was to activate more signups and convert more free users into paying customers. If you're looking for help doing this yourself, check out Novatic. They have a no-code editor to help product-led SaaS companies create and build interactive demos 
that increase conversions and activations. I recommend them all the time to my advising clients, especially right now as resources are tight and every new account matters. If you're interested in learning more, check out nevatic.com slash value. Can you share how you got your first growth job? Yeah, absolutely. I, I was coming straight out of university, co-founded a VR company in 2014, 2015, before VR was really a thing. We commercialized a piece of software. I, I was sort of in this role as like, I don't know, early stage, just like the business person, which was, which was a ton of fun. I was very young. And then when I, when I left that company, there was a, our mentor, our tech mentor from the tech incubator here kind of poached me and was like, Hey, I need someone to come do exactly what you did here. Can you move over to my three person bootstrapped SaaS startup as our head of growth? And I think I was, yeah, I must've been 23, 24 at the time. And it was to this day, the most life-changing experience. I, I didn't know growth existed. I didn't know what growth was. I was in this random co-founder role right out of university because I thought entrepreneurship was cool as a thing to do. And then I got moved over and it was, it went, oh, there are now, you, you have a platform to decide what happens with it and what's the positioning and where it fits in the market and how onboarding happens. And I'm sitting here as a 23 year old and the CEO is like 45. And I remember being like, oh, here we go. I think this is the thing that I want to do. And so I think like everyone in, in sort of the growth space, I fell backwards into it. And so what were you doing before that, just for context? So you were, you were in school and then you were doing yeah. some like more just higher level business stuff. Can you share it like a teeny bit sure. more context? Long story short, I went to university to be a doctor, got to university, found out that it takes a lot more work than I was willing to put in and like in general interest in the medical field to be a doctor than I had. Good insights so I ended up, to have. Yeah. <laughs> I was good at math and I was so, I, you know, that was my thing, math. And I was like, I'm going to go be an accountant, I think. And then, so I joined the business school, found out that uh, accounting is very little theoretical math. So it's not calculus. I, I found out very quickly. I was sort of lost. And then a close friend of mine was like, why don't you join this like startup entrepreneurship community that we have? And so I did. And it sort of like led down these roads into the tech scene in the city that I'm in, which for anyone listening is, is Winnipeg, Canada. So very small, very, but very fun tech scene that we have. And I, I this engineer reached out to me saying, hey, I've got this. It was the very early days of VR, like Google Glass, like the cardboard ones had just come out the same year we were building this thing. And so he, he just had this like fairly cheap ability to take 360 degree like pictures and then stitch them together to effectively do tours. And he's like, I don't know what this thing is for. I don't know. I just built it because I thought it was going to be a cool thing. And so I, he was like, I, I need someone to come figure out what the commercialization process of this means. And so I got brought on board to essentially be like, here's this piece of cool software, figure out what to do with it. And that was my first ever like real person job. That's pretty amazing. So your first job out of university was a growth job, basically. Pr pretty much, yeah. So it was, here's the piece of software, put it in the market, figure out who it's for, why it does those things. And then, I mean, I'm a like very, I guess, 
revenue focused, like results focused growth person now. And I think it all started out because I started out being the the sales team and the growth team at the same time. So I had to learn which people to follow up with. It wasn't like we were, I could go follow up with everyone. I didn't have the time in the day. So I was like figuring out which users I should be following up with or figure out which leads I should be following up with myself. So it, it started my career off, I think on the right note. And I, I mean, that's where growth and marketing has sort of gone these days is like, hey, I mean, I, I literally currently work for a company that does this very specifically, th very specific thing. And obviously I didn't have this back then, but yeah, my, my first job was a growth job. I, not that, I don't think the term growth existed back then, or at least I didn't know about it. That's super cool. And what a challenging first job, right? Because it's your first job. You're learning like how to be not in university anymore and just how to navigate having a job. And it happens to be an early stage job, which are harder than most, right? Less definition, less, less clarity, typically dot, you know, looser lines in between teams and it's growth, which is like maybe the loosest of all those. And so I guess I'd love to hear, how did you know that this is what you wanted to keep doing? Cause obviously you continued down this road. Why is that? I think I've always just had a general curiosity. Curiosity and competitiveness are, are two things that have really, I think just continued to drive and not necessarily competitiveness against other people, but like competitiveness in myself. So like, all I want to do is like be better than I was yesterday. And I know that sounds super cliche, but I think that is sort of what's driven me forward. So there's always been this, like, I got to sit down and it was just this blank canvas for me to do my own thing with. And after, you know, four or five years of being jammed into specific paths in school, there was no longer a specific path. I could paint my own thing do do whatever i felt was the best situation for me and that is i have stuck primarily to small like seed series a series b ish startups because that path always exists right there is always like they all all founders or vps sort of go we are here and we need to get here I don't know how we're going to get there. That's up for you to decide. And it's, it's always fun. It's always different. And I think I found that very early on that this was just like, I get to do my own thing the way I want to do things from day one. And after, you know, yeah, 22, 23 years of being like, the, this is what you're doing, very structured. Like, there's some ambiguity here. And, and I, I've like, Definitely enjoyed the ambiguity. And what do you think it was about the competitiveness for you personally that made you feel like this is the space to be competitive in, right? Because I could probably talk to someone similar who works in sales who says, hey, I'm like really competitive and probably even engine, you know, some engineers out there and say, well, I'm kind of competitive. I want to write the best code. So I'm curious how that relates to this field for you. I think when you sort of look at the, the metrics that you're starting to pull in, you're sort of going, okay, this is, this is where we're at. This is where we need to go to be able to hit whatever growth goals we have in mind. And you get, you get to see day by day, the impact that you're having. So you start, like, I would start to get this like little competitive ish. Cause again, it's not necessarily competitive. Like I'm not trying to look at my peers in the industry and be better at them at their own job, be a weird thing to try to do. But I get to see this dashboard every day, right? Like group people, we sort of like live in data. And so every day you get to see the minute actions that you and your team have taken that are now like either moving the needle one way or the other. 
And so you start to get this little competitiveness streak going inside yourself. Like, oh, when, when, because I don't know, when, when stuff hits right, the endorphins start to go off and you're like, yes, this is so much fun. I'm doing things correctly. This is great. Um, I mean, it's, it's hard not to go the other way. I think when things go wrong and you're like, you start to get, you know, hit the imposter syndrome to creep in. But when things go right, you start to get this, oh, I can do, I can, next I'm going to do this a little bit better and this a little bit better and this a little better. And it just like spurs the momentum and competitiveness within myself to just be a little bit better every day at at bringing whatever company I'm working for towards our end goal. There's never an end goal. There is, it's never like you've, you've done it. (laughs) You can stop now, but you know what I mean? Definitely. And I'm someone I would say I identify as being competitive as well. And I think that was one of the things that drew me into growth, but maybe also frustrated me because in those early days, a lot of times when you don't really know frameworks and you're sort of still learning some of like the base playbooks, you just try a bunch of stuff and typically you copy what other folks have done because you just assume those smart people have done it. I might as well do the same thing. I'll be smart. If it worked there, it'll work here. And then you learn it doesn't work. And so sometimes for me in my early days, I was frustrated. Because I'd be like, fuck, why can't I move the needle more on this? I should be able to do it. I want to do it. I'm motivated to, to win. It's not always that easy is what I found. No, it's not. I, and you make a very good, I'm so big on, on playbooks are a good thing to learn, but they never work out. Like you can't just like stamp what other people, or you can't even stamp what you've done previously into the next thing that you're working on. So um, yeah, it's, it's every time you start something new, again, back to the blank canvas analogy I used earlier, it's always just a new blank canvas, which is part of the fun. Taking us back to the early days of your growth journey, when you're learning about growth, you're getting into growth, you've been in the space for a little bit. I know you're making a million mistakes, right? We just started talking about them. Can you share one specific mistake, career mistake, not project mistake that you made early in your growth journey? Yeah. So I remember fairly early on, this would have been at the second, sort of like my second gig. I was a, a like first time true, true head of growth in my early 20s. And I think I remember thinking that I knew it all. Like I had all of the answers to everything. I didn't know what I didn't know. And transparently, my I, I let my ego get pretty big as as a head of, as a I guess the first, second time head of growth in my early 20s, which, you know, looking back, it was like, oh, super cringy. And that was tough. This is transparently difficult to look back on, at least sort of more of a behavioral mistake, you know, than like, oh, I wasted a bunch of time mistake. So sort of like walking around the office being, you know, pretty cocky in, in thinking that I knew everything and, and could just move the needle in whichever way I so chose. And I don't necessarily remember the exact date, but... At one point, I had one of my close friends. So hilariously enough, at this company, we were three people when I started. I hired all of my friends to come work. So a couple of engineers, a couple of sales folks that came in. And it was it was a ton of fun. You know, but effectively, I was their boss. Um, and so you've got this three-person company, but it wasn't your company, right? I just wanted it to- It was, no. Content. We had our CEO, but like transparently, our CEO was a, a little- Um, he was a sales guy. So our CEO was a sales guy. So he preferred to be out doing sales stuff than running the company. So I was effectively running the company as the head of growth. 
and probably have a long leash to make decisions. Hey, go, yeah, do do whatever you think. And, and I don't want to s- sit here and sound like I was the person running the company. It was like, you know, a bit of a brain trust, but I think a lot of the ended up the decisions ended up falling down to to me, which I don't know, I was 24. It was great. I loved it. I remember at one point, though, my close friend, who I'm still very close friends with, kind of tapped me on the shoulder one day and effectively was like, hey, man, your ego is really big. It's starting to put a lot of people off. You kind of walk around like your shit don't stink and your shit stinks. Things aren't moving as well as you think that they're moving and you're just very much in your head about it. I remember being shell-shocked. I didn't know how to respond. And this um, is from a friend? This is like somebody well, but he, he, is, knew. He, he is my best. He is one of my best friends to this day. I was the MC at his wedding last summer. I couldn't believe it, honestly. And it, I, it, it honestly took me a good few weeks to really wrap my head around what he was talking about. And I think the only reason that I recognized it is because, you know, the actions that I would take in office, what, the second I would do it, it would, I would hear kind of like, his name's Andre. I would hear the Andre on my shoulder be like, ooh, ooh, ooh. So you'd like start to really hear the words coming out of your mouth. And you're like, ah, I'm starting to understand what he was talking about. And, it, you know, it was a lot of responsibility for, for a young, I call, call myself a kid at the time, kind of a, a young kid. And while it was great, personal and, and career growth it was a when that comment came through it was a lot of like sit down have a conversation and be like it was two weeks later i think two three weeks later after the comment we kind of sat across from each other at the like boardroom table after the workday had ended and i was like i want to reiterate what you said i want to reiterate the things that i've been noticing that i'm doing and then we honestly sort of like worked on an action plan for me to like be a better, just like general person, I think. So it wasn't like the work that I was doing was necessarily wrong. I, again, I think I was just making calls for better or for worse most of the time. Definitely blaming other people when things didn't go well based off of the calls that I made. And and it's tough. It, it's tough to have transparency and, and look back on that time. But it's definitely changed who I am as a head of growth which is great. Dude, what a gift in retrospect, right? Oh, huge, huge. I, I feel like a lot of times, if it wasn't one of your close friends, they wouldn't have told you because they wouldn't nope. have felt comfortable. And you would have been whatever that version of you was for a lot longer until someone else came along and told you. And at that point, it might've felt even worse because then you would have reflected back and been like, shit, I've been this for a while. And yeah. why didn't anybody tell me, right? So Painful in the moment, but a little bit of a gift. Painful in the moment, very tough two weeks to sit on it and, and realize it. That was, I think the worst part was the realization that what he said was just bang on accurate and tough to sit in that. That attitude could have definitely carried on for far too long. And then I don't think that I'm the person that I, that I am today because of that, which is crazy to think. Two lines of advice at 24 has very likely changed the outlook on the rest of my life. While that may sound dramatic, it is probably true. No, I love that, man. I've gotten tough feedback feedback like that before, different details. But I had someone on my team who said, I'll just be vulnerable. She said, 
hey, you've been presenting a lot of the results of the team. I was the lead of the team at the time. And sometimes it comes off as you taking credit for the results. And I was like, oh, like that, I had the same deal, man. I took that home with me. That kept me up at night. My mom's an executive coach. So like leadership is sort of in, you know, that's sort of in my DNA a little bit. And that really cut me. But what a gift. I thought it was obvious that as the team lead, I would go up and share the results of our team a lot. And that's part of your job as the team lead is to advocate for the team. And I wasn't doing a good enough job of advocating. And it was coming off at least to my team as taking credit for their work. And that was painful. And that's my version of that story. We all make them. The best lessons come painfully, unfortunately. So I'm curious to know, how do you know if you make progress on that, right? So we're talking about it now. You've got this gift of perspective. How do you know if you've gotten better at that? So like I said, Andre, to this day, we don't work for the same company anymore. We sort of, he's doing his thing. I'm doing mine. In the moment when we did work, so so we were there after that conversation at that company for, for another year or so. So it was sort of like I always leaned into him to, I don't want to say be my moral compass, but definitely like, hey, poke me, please, like just be as transparent as you can with me on this stuff. Poke me, tell me I'm doing stuff wrong, help me be a better leader. And he, to this day, I'll give him a ton of credit, is like one of one of the best just leaders that I know. I, it's just, again, built into who he is as a person. Him and I meet once a month. We go out for dinner to just share stories and I guess he's sort of my impromptu leadership coach. He kind of just like, I'm like, these are the things that I'm working on. These are the conversations that I'm having. And he gives me feedback on a lot of this stuff and to be like, you should word stuff like this. You shouldn't word stuff like that. And then both of my parents are therapists. I'm a big proponent of therapy as a whole. I go to therapy on a fairly frequent basis, once a month. I have since I was a kid. Again, I just grew up in the household where my parents were like, therapy is a good thing. Go to, to go see a therapist, talk stuff through. So I think she also very much helps me sort of decipher all of the stuff that I have in me, all of the knots that I get worked up in my head to come back out so I can be a better person for the people that I work with. Dude, I love that. We all need someone to take all that shit that's swirling around in our heads and help us organize it and make sense of it and to give us feedback and the gift of perspective. It's hard in the moment, right? I mean, you got that gift from one of your friends. They felt comfortable giving you that gift, but for most of us, it's hard. And it's painful when we finally do get it. And I'm a huge believer in having support systems, whether it's a therapist or a coach or a close friend or a mentor, whomever it is to give us that. I think anyone that's in a head of growth role, you'd like need those to have those people around. Because you, we started this conversation talking about growth is an ambiguous role and you can get so much of it tied up in your head within that ambiguity. And if you can't figure out a way to unknot that stuff, and a lot of the time it's you... For, at least for me, I found a lot, it's difficult to unknot that stuff while at work. You need to unknot that to objective people. You know, it's really interesting. You're one of the very few people who I've met who got their first job working in growth. And this is one of the challenges is that for most of us, we work in growth, whether it's your first job or your fifth job, we don't have growth specific mentors. Like the field is still pretty new, right? Yeah. And when I came up through sort of the startup ranks, I guess, I was a marketer. Like the first half of my career was like an acquisition, demand gen, marketing ops kind of a skill set. And I at least had examples of what good marketing leadership looked like. And I think that's one of the additional challenges of being ahead of growth is that it's ambiguous and it's difficult and it's new. Yes. And a lot of us haven't seen a playbook for what it is to be ahead of growth and not just a person who works in growth. I couldn't agree more. And I think 
I try to listen to as many podcasts as possible kind of from growth leaders because I think that sort of does help. Again, some of them can be fairly tactical and I I do enjoy a tactical podcast from time to time. But it is it is nice to hear about how growth leaders are going about leading their team. Totally, man. So you get this gift of feedback. You're in your, I think, second head of growth role or second growth role. What happens after that? Like, so you get this feedback and then from then on, it's everything's pretty breezy. I wouldn't say everything's pretty breezy. I like sort of went, I went corporate for a, a year and really did not like it. So there was like this like internal growth role at this really big insurance company. It was, again, a ton of fun. Flew me around the world to go talk to their insurance brokers about like building growth motions inside their broker, like their high tech brokers to help them build growth motions and understand because, you know, their insurance, they don't really know funnels, et cetera, et cetera. And it was great. I, I, I had a ton of fun, but like hated the red tape and the corporate behind it. And so I, I bounced around a couple. I, I went to an agency after that for about a year and a half, and it was great. Really loved that I was there, like first growth marketing hire, really did a ton of fun work there. And then I moved to a growth specific agency as their VP of growth. And while it was fun, it did not necessarily end super well. I know there's like peaks and valleys to to growth roles. And I had a really long peak, I would say. I think my peak lasted for like five or six years before I ended up as a VP of growth and then just like a VP of growth with a really big amount of, I had a, a massive team, transparently a massive team and I could not handle it and ended up being let go from that company. So I would imagine that anyone who makes it to VP in anything, definitely in growth, has had at least a couple layoffs or a couple firings. It's just how the the role is. It's a hard role. And you're in it for the first time. You don't have mentors a lot of the time. The person who you're reporting to hasn't had someone in that role before. And so I think peaks and valleys and some of these setbacks are part of the process. Can you share a little bit more about the valley? So you said you're there. You're there for a long run where things are going well. What what happens towards the end? Like, take us back to that time. So this was... <laughs> and, and I don't read the... If it feels traumatic, then let's skip over. No, 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 it's good. It's good. I, again, I think I, I'm good to talk about this stuff. I go to therapy, Andrew. Come on. I was at a, a growth specific agency. We were very seed series A, series B growth. I got brought on to be one of their heads of growth, working more on the growth, like contracting client side. That went really well for a few months. And they're like, hey, we need someone to overlook all of the rest of our heads of growth. Can you step into this role as as our VP of growth? And I was like, that sounds great. And so this so is really I, a transition from being a growth specialist yeah. to now leading other growth specialists. Yeah, exactly. And so I had 15, 16 direct other head of growth. So we had one head of growth would work for one to two clients and we had about 30 clients, which puts me roughly from 14 to 15 heads of growth that reported directly into me with no systems set up about how to lead any of those heads of growth. So I was really reliant on the previous head of growth work I did to help other heads of growth be heads of 
growth. It didn't necessarily go well because, again, I was helping heads of growth be heads of growth at a tactical level, not necessarily helping heads of growth be good heads of growth at, at a maybe like a head of growth leadership level. Is it fair to say the delineation is like a tactical skills versus soft skills? Absolutely. And so there was no framework to help them like build those soft skills. And I was quickly realizing that that was more of what my job needed to be. Had you managed, like what was the biggest team that you had managed before that? Four people. Yeah. So um, th dude, this is fascinating, right? Because I bet there's going to be people listening to this who are in the exact same position, right? They're a first time manager, maybe second time manager, but all of a sudden they're used to being player coach and now they're running almost zero plays and they're doing all coaching and it's a totally different job. Different game. And yeah. I was not good at it. I, I still don't necessarily know if I would classify myself as good at it. What makes you give that reaction? I think there's still a lot of work for me to be the leader that I want to be. And, and, and there is a, for anyone listening to this, that is managing a four-person team, it's it's a huge difference to go from like four people to 15 people. Like there is some inflection point in there where this goes from at four people, you're still executing a little bit, right? You're still doing some stuff. At 15 people, you're not executing everything. You're, all you're doing is making other people be good at executing, which I personally still don't know if I found a really good way of going about that. And I mean, transparently, I still really love doing the execution part of being ahead of growth, which I think is why I found my niche in like the seed series, A series B type of company, because as a head of growth at that size of company, your team size is never big enough to not be executing. You're always the one running the tests, launching some of the tests, making sure other people have what they need to be successful as a portion of your job, but not your whole job. And so when I had a team of, of 14, 15 people, it was like, it was immediately over. I was immediately overwhelmed. So I'm talking from building pitch decks and presenting to clients to like, that's 15 one-on-ones a week. So that's 15 hours of your, of what, you know, most people would hopefully work a, a 40 hour week ish. It's what? 40% of your week is gone for one-on-ones and you are exhausted after having 15 one-on-ones. And now you got to go do client pitches. And I was at an agency and I don't know if I will feel burnout like I felt burnout there. And when I got let go, I was immediately like, oh shit, I don't have a job. And then my girlfriend don't look, don't Freudianly look into this too much is also a therapist, as is my parents, sort of like sat me down and was like, this is a good thing. I promise you, this is a good thing. She's like, you have looked exhausted for months and you would have never dragged yourself out of that. Again, I think maybe this is back to the competitiveness piece is like, I'm just not going to like drag myself out when there's a bit of a, uh, like, I'm not doing well at my job. I need to be, I need to be the one that does better at my job. And there's a bit of that competitiveness. And so when I got like, oh, I remember for March 2021 and I, the immediate shock was like, shit. Okay. What's, what do I do next? And my girlfriend's like, what do you mean? What do you do next? You got let go 20 minutes ago. Sit down <laughs> for a little bit. <laughs> It was just like, again, I think an inflection point very similar to the earlier conversation referenced about 
you know, ego getting too big. It was an inflection point in my career. Where I was like, I don't ever want to do this again, at least not until I get better at doing this and like have a more linear path. This like, and again, maybe looking back on it, it was a bit of an ego play to be like, oh, I can totally just jump in into this role and do it with and, and succeed. And it was brutal. Um, so I think in the tech world, there's like a funny thing where people don't get rewarded as much internally. Like they don't have as much influence if they're just an amazing contributor versus if they're a manager. So there's like all this weird pressure to become a manager, whether you really want to be a manager or not is a totally different question. Love this conversation. I'm <laughs> such I'm such a big proponent of companies having a manager path and an IC path. Like Rand Fishkin writes about this stuff or, or did fairly frequently about there's, there's people wranglers and there's individual contributors and a senior IC should have as much of a, a path to success at your company than a senior like people manager would because some people are meant to be people managers and some people are not meant to be people managers. And if you only have one, if the only stream at your company is to become a people manager, you're going to lose a lot of really fantastic talent. I also think that there's some level of status that comes with being a people manager versus being the best IC. And it's very weird. Engineering is maybe the only capability where I've seen kind of buck this trend where you can have like your best engineer is is like untouchable at the company. And, and maybe that's like the only department where I really see that play out. But most of the time, and even in our personal lives, right? When you meet friends you haven't seen for a while and you're like, oh, how's it going? Are you still at this company? A lot of times the updates will be, yeah, I just got a promotion. I've got like three direct reports now. And that's like part of their identity almost. So it has this weird weight to it. And so I'm curious to know, because as a coach, a lot of times I work with folks who have been laid off and they're at their next company and they're six or eight months in at their next company. And all of a sudden they're starting to feel whatever it is that they felt at their last company, right before they got let go in the past. They're feeling nervous and skittish and it, and it fucks with them a little bit. Yeah. So I'm curious to know, did that happen to you? And if it did, how did you manage that? Or how do you Move, manage that? Yeah, I moved to a company directly. The next position I took directly after that, I was a team of one. A team of, a team of one, head of all things growth and marketing. And it was a seed company that ended up getting acquired, but I was maybe overcorrected back to just being a team of, of one. I knew it was, a, I guess, a safe place and a happy place that I knew I could go exist in. And if you talk to my colleagues at Mad Kudu, they will tell you that like some of that stuff of being a team of one is like floating over now because you know they're like you need to make briefs and da da da. And it's like it doesn't necessarily come first nature to me because I when I was doing all of this stuff, I didn't have to. I think I potentially overcorrected. I did. I that. And, but that's what I was looking for. I was like, I want to go back to my my happy place that I know I can go and execute really well on. And at some point, you know, the, the company got acquired and I ended up like starting a consultancy of my own, which was a ton of fun. But I think what well, I sort of realized like the, the, potentially the next step professionally for me is to not necessarily be better at growth. And it, there's always, there's always growth within growth, but, but it is like becoming a better head of, head of growth. I did get skittish. I did get nervous about can I take on direct reports? Is that going to be a thing that I can actually do at, at a functioning level? 
I don't have any direct reports currently, but the game plan is to like, you know, grow the the growth department at Madkudu over the next little bit. So um, I will get another, and I'm excited to get another kick of, kick of the can to do some of that stuff. You know, just to highlight some of the leaders at Madkudu, they're very good at being leaders. So it's, I think it's a nice, I think I've worked in a lot of seed series A companies where like the CEO is not a good leader. They need CEO <laughs> coaching really badly. Yeah. And so you can't look to that person to figure out how to be a good leader because they're not even a good leader to you, let alone a good leader in general. They just somehow sort of fall, fell backwards into being a CEO and having a company. And they're like, I didn't really think it would get this far type of deal. So thankfully at Madkudu, my, my leader is great. Our exec team is fantastic at being leaders. So I'm, I'm I'm excited to like grow that specific portion of my career. Still yet to necessarily be determined if people wrangler or IC is sort of where my career goes, honestly. And what would your advice be to someone who's listening to this, who's starting to feel a little twinge of what you described as, as the old you, right? So they've got a team, maybe they're nearing that inflection point. Their spidey senses are tingling. They're starting to feel a little bit of that overwhelm, that burnout. What would your advice be to them? Talk to someone. Talk to someone that you know that probably has been through something similar. So I feel like head of growth is a very isolated role most of the time. Like at least at the stage of company I'm at, you're probably a team of one, maybe a team of two, but it's a very isolated role. And I feel like people, heads of growth, maybe don't talk to other more senior heads of growth. We were, we were talking about this earlier you're a coach and there is no like head of growth mentorship program. And so I think people need, maybe need to start that for themselves because someone is going to have advice to you. And I didn't, I didn't do this. I should have done this was I should reach out to a head of growth who has, has a team they can give me and, and they're probably willing to give me some advice as to how to handle the situation better than I currently am. And but I think you start to get in your head about it. You sort of go, if I reach out to this person, are they going to think down on me because I am not necessarily being successful in this specific portion of my role? And are they going to think, is this going to have negative ramifications on my career because this you know, high level head of growth thinks that I can't be a head of growth and they're going to go tell people. And, and I don't know, you just get this all twisted up in your head. But I promise you, you can reach out to other heads of growth being like, this is the problem that I have. Have you ever gone, have you gone through something similar? And, and they probably have, and they will give you advice. So reach out, reach out and, and talk to someone. If you're feeling, whether you're burning out, whether you are not feeling like you're doing well, even yes, tactically, but I think like not just tactically, more on the potentially leadership side or like, like reporting into execs and a board is like a whole other level of things that you probably want to have a conversation about somebody with. So at some point your CEO is going to go, okay, what are the results that we've seen? I need to go report this to the board. If you've never done that before, go talk to somebody that has reached out to some, somebody, somebody will help you. The first person you reach out to will help you. I guarantee it. It's a lot of what I do with my business is I work with, I work one-on-one -on -one with people who lead growth teams and usually they reach out and they'll say, hey, I'm hitting this like tactical challenge. I need some help. 
and they need some perspective. And then very quickly, it becomes apparent that it's really not a tactical challenge. It's either a self-confidence challenge or they're feeling isolated or they have so many things in their head, they need help organizing it. And the number one thing that I hear is, oh, I thought it was me. Great, right? It's like they're hitting something, they're having some self-doubt, some challenge, they're having some pushback with their CEO, whatever it is, and they think it's them. They think they're fucking up. They think they weren't meant to do this. They're having this imposter syndrome flare up. And when I share, like when I work with folks, They'll say, hey, is this normal? Have you talked to someone? And I'm like, yeah, I've talked to five other people this week that had the same. And they'll say, oh, thank God, I thought it was me. And so it's a, as you said, it's a tough role. With, yeah, with yeah. that in mind, I'm curious, like what keeps you in the growth space? Like why don't you leave this world, go be a barista or woodworker somewhere and like leave the tech thing behind? Why do you, why do you keep stepping up to the plate? Oh, I considered it. It would be easier to not be in like the growth tech space. So I think- when I was like starting my consultancy, I, I had some downtime to really figure out what I wanted to do. I very much considered just going and doing something else. It was, it was a bit of a interesting time. And I would say I sort of like went through those emotions when, when I got let go in the previous example. What keeps me coming back? It's always with a bit of space, I think. It's like you're in it day to day and it's stressful and you're burning out. Don't do any of these things if you can figure out how to avoid doing any of these things. But I feel like these are all sort of consequences just generally of being in this space. So it's very intense. Growth is very, very intense. Especially when you're starting it off for the first time for a company, it's aggressively intense. There's a lot of eyes. When I have the ability to step back, take some time off, you start to really go, you, you go, no, okay. While it was intense, there's, it's a lot of fun and there's, there's, it's, if you, in, if you enjoy growth and I mean growth as, as not like growth, the career lever that we talk about all the time, but growth in the sense of this job will always push you no matter what there, there is no perfect, there's no perfected end state. It's, you are always going to be pushed to grow. And I think that there's a ton of enjoyment. I find a ton of enjoyment in being continually pushed. And I, I think I get, which is maybe why I didn't necessarily like the corporate life so much. There just there was no, there was no push. It was just, I, if I didn't show up for a week, would they even notice? Probably not. They will notice if I don't show up to my job at Matkudu. And there's a balance. And I think people need to, there's going to be very intense times and you need to find a way to take a step back and at, at some point either you know somewhere in the intense time or when the intense time is over and like think if you think back on that and if reflect if you actually enjoyed the intensity that that was just make sure i'd like myself take take appropriate breaks what i found i used to i used to think well if you just worked at a winner it would be easy and what i learned is it's maybe just as hard. It, it may be maybe harder. harder. I it think it's harder. harder, man. It's like, oh, well, we grew whatever, 4X last year, revenue 4X, right? As one of the VC multiples that companies tend to aim for, or at least they did when times were good. But it's like <laughs> the next year, the goal is also 4X or 3X, I think is uh, the, the playbook typically, but it's ridiculous. And so it's like, if you've grown a lot, the challenges are way bigger, right? Because if everything goes perfect, your team grows, you have different team growth challenges, different manager challenges, different reporting up challenges, different 
challenges collaborating with other teams and departments that have also grown and have more specialization. And so it's always tough, man. I feel that. As we start to wrap here, I'm curious to know, what does professional growth mean to you at this point in your career? Like, what are the skills that you're working on today that'll help you for tomorrow? So Mad Kudu, we're really just like building stuff from, from scratch, which is interesting. I think this is like one of the first times I've come in and been like, oh, we're doing, we're doing this for, we're building from the ground up. And usually like I, you know, I think that's something I've done in my career, but Mad Kudu, it's a little bit different. It's, it's, it's a lot of differentiation. So I think that's, that's effectively what I'm working on is a lot of differentiation and how to stand out in a competitive landscape. Like we're in, especially like in the, in like take a shot for everyone says in these hard economic times. Um, but like stuff right now is you have to find a way to just continually be better. So I think a lot of what I've, and I know we said this earlier, a lot of what I've done previously, not that it necessarily no longer works. It's just like table stakes now. Right. So it's like, how do you, how do you, how do you push the boundary of table stakes to just like open up new avenues and be different and think differently? So I think that's a lot of what I'm working on day by day. And I know, again, this sounds a little ambiguous, but it's, it's what's, what's the next thing and what's the next thing and what's the next thing, which again, like previously, it is, it is very intensive continually. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? So you've had, You've had a lot of cool experience, right? I mean, you've been in growth for a while. You've had a couple different places where you've worked in growth in a couple different environments from the tech environment to the agency side. Obviously, you're working at a bit of hybrid sort of PLG hybrid model today. Taking the tactical stuff aside, like mm. for you in your career, what does what does career growth mean to you skill-wise for you and your career to take with you after this current gig? It's like tactically, I feel very set in my ability to figure out tactics and execute on tactics. I think the next stage for me in my career, and we sort of talked about this, is figuring out, you know, we're going to hire a few people and I oversee effectively everything demand gen and growth related. So is how do I be that person for the people that we end up hiring. And so I know personally that I am not great at handing off handing off stuff. So like things that I know that I like to do, but it's maybe not the best use of my time, at least as, as we grow. And so that is an area of growth that I know that I need to work on is being okay handing stuff off two people, which is going to be an interesting transition for me. Yeah. I love that. Dude, thank you for coming on, sharing your stories, your life, your, your vulnerable perspectives here. For those who are listening that want to connect or interact with you, where should we send them? LinkedIn. I'm happy to lend any of these perspectives to anybody that's listening. I am happy to take meetings, walk through stuff just because I, I've never had that person to just feel okay reaching out to. So I would like to be that person when it's called upon me to be that person. Thank you for listening to the pod. I hope that you enjoyed the episode. If you did, I have an ask. The biggest gift that you could give me as a small business owner and as a content creator would be a review. You know the game. You can go on to Apple Podcasts. You can go on Spotify. Leave a review. That would help me service this content to other folks who are like you. Obviously, you should subscribe to the content if you really dug it. 
And if there's feedback that you have for me, folks you think I should chat with, stuff that you wish I would gloss over faster, whatever it is, I'm all ears. I work in growth. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I, I try to collect feedback and iterate quickly. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn at Andrew Kaplan or on Twitter at at A Kaplan. Otherwise, hope you enjoyed the episode and I'll see you next show.